Welcome to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. Today we will continue through Romans by studying Romans 14. By the end you will understand the thrust of an important truth summed up in this phrase. And essentials, unity. And non-essentials, liberty. And all things, charity. Glad you're here today. If you've been with us for a while, you know I don't like to go into long uh, introductory statement, so let's just get with it. All right, here we go. Within the church, there are closed hand issues and there are open hand issues. Within the closed hand issues, we like to say these represent the essentials of the Christian faith, the doctrine, and the open handed represents the non essentials of the Christian faith. So let me show you how this works closed hand. The essentials of the Christian faith, what we must believe and to be claiming to be a Christian, like we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe for sure that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is divine. That he was crucified on the cross bearing the wrath of God. These are what we believe. We believe that he was buried. We believe three days he rose again victoriously. We believe that you must repent and put your faith in Jesus to be saved. We believe that heaven is for real. We believe that hell is for real. I'm going to write that book. Hell is for real too. We believe these last forever. There's essential doctrines that we believe that we will not let go and we will hold them tight in a closed hand. Are you with me so far? Now, there are open-handed issues. These would be the non-essentials of the Christian faith. When I say non-essential, I don't mean that they're not unimportant. They can still be very important. But they are the non-essentials of the faith where Christians can have different viewpoints. Christians can have different convictions. We will hold them with an open hand. Some of the open hand issues could be like Bible translation. Some believe it's the NIV. Some believe it's the KJV. But we all know it's the ESV. Okay, just making sure you're tracking them. All right. You see, it's open-handed issues. Yes, open-handed issues about whether Christians should drink or not. Uh, what kind of schooling they should have for their children, uh, what kind and forms of entertainment they should partake in, or even forms of worship. These are non-essential items in the open hand where committed Christians can have different convictions on these matters. So I hope you're with me now, okay? The essentials of the closed hand, these are not up for debate. We should have absolute unity in these strong doctrinal positions that are rooted in the Word of God. We're not, these are not up for grabs. Closed hand. But on these non-essentials, over the open hand, we should allow for diversity. Diversity of convictions. And yet we should live with one another in unity and love. And I would think that the heart of this can be summed up with a famous phrase you may have heard before. Let me put it up for you. In essentials, unity. and non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. and non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We are going to see this principle play out in the early church this morning as we study Romans chapter 14. Can you believe it? We're going to study an entire chapter in the Bible this morning. We're going to make the most of your time here. When's the last time you studied the entire chapter of the Bible? We're going to look at Romans chapter 14. 
Now, I'm going to set the context for you because this is going to be complicated to explain, hard to understand, so try to at least track with me a little bit. The Roman church, it's not like this church. This church is primarily made up of Gentiles. The Roman church was a mixture of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. Now, some from the Jewish background in Rome that were Jewish believers, they believed that they should hold to some of the Old Testament teachings concerning food and drink. Specifically, I want to make sure you understand this. In their pagan environment, they felt like it was very important that they didn't eat meat. Now, don't, don't take from this, you say, well, are, are Jews vegetarians? Don't, don't think like that. But in this environment, they, they were because they felt like in their pagan environment, they felt like they couldn't eat the meat that was in the pagan environment because they weren't sure if it was kosher, if it was prepared in line with the Old Testament laws. Nor did they drink wine in their context because they weren't sure if, if it was mixed or had some connection with idols. So you could say that the Jews in the Roman environment were perhaps kind of maybe sort of like Daniel who refrained from these things when he was in exile in Babylon. Now, in addition, the Jews in this context of the church, they felt it was very important to observe certain holy days, especially the Sabbath. So for them, I want to make sure you understand, the Jewish Christians in the church, they held to certain Old Testament laws as a manner of conscience and conviction. I don't think it's fair to say the Jews held to these laws as a matter of salvation. No, no, no. They're, they're believers in Jesus Christ, but they are believers in Jesus Christ as a manner of conscience and conviction. They would not eat meat or, or drink wine in this context, and they thought it was very important to observe certain holy days, such as the Sabbath. That's their, 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 their connection with the Old Testament. Now, what about the Gentiles? No such convictions. They believe what Jesus taught, that all foods have been declared clean, so they could eat meat and drink wine without their conscience being bothered. In addition, the laws concerning the details of the Old Testament of Sabbath of servants uh, and their understanding had been played out and they believed in gathering as believers. They believed in worshiping uh, on community. They believed in worshiping on the Lord's Day. But the, the details of the Sabbath observance, they believe as the people of God have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul, was he Jew or Gentile? Is Jew. Theologically, he would side with the Jews or Gentiles. The Gentiles, right? He would say, foods are clean. Yes, they're clean. Or there's no, no connection there. They're clean. And he would also have, have an opinion with regard to the theological conviction on the Sabbath. That it's fulfilled in Christ. And we can worship on the Lord's Day. But, but that, that's not the point. Let me just tell you the problem here, okay? Here, here, you ready for this? Jewish Christians would judge the Gentiles Christians for eating and drinking. And the Gentile Christians would look down on the Jewish Christians for not eating or drinking. So you see the problem. So Paul wants both sides to love each other in the midst of different convictions. So you want to know more today. You may be thinking, well, my Pastor Jason, what's right and what's wrong? Non-essential issues here. We can talk all day about what's right and what's wrong on non-essential issues. But Paul's like saying, let's talk about unity. Let's talk about love. And, and you may wonder, well, what's the connection to our context at, in Evanston? Are, are you addressing a specific problem that we have at EBF? Not really. Some a little bit, murmurings here and there. 
But on a whole, this is a preventive text for us to check our hearts, to keep us healthy within the context of brothers and sisters disagreeing over non-essential issues, which happens within our church, yes. It's not been elevated to the point where our church is going to split like some churches get to that point. We're not there at all, but it's preventative. We're going to give you good theology before you get all messed up in your thinking and divide, okay? So this is preventative. This is helpful. So let's talk about, beginning, tensions that can arise over non-essentials. Tensions about the open hand. This is going to be fun. Whole chapter. Let's do it. Romans 14, verses 1 through 3. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. The person who is weak in faith here is eating only vegetables because their faith is Their faith is stuck adhering to Old Testament regulations. They don't think the regulations earn them salvation, but they feel like their conscience, it will go against their conscience to eat meat because it might not be ritually clean. So in their minds, they abstained from meat because it was an issue of holiness and purity. Now, the Gentiles weren't supposed to look down on the Jews for this position. In turn, the Jews were not supposed to judge the Gentiles because they did eat meat and they did drink wine. So Paul is exhorting both groups. Look what he says to the Jews. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So he's like, God is the master judge. And he has welcomed the Gentiles into his family, and he don't judge them for eating meat and drinking wine. Right, I know this is, this is heavy stuff. I know. I, I, stick with me. It's going to get more understandable. This is, this, is, this is heavy. Romans 14. Here we go. Let's look at the different convictions concerning not only food and drink, but also the observance of special days. Verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. This is concerning the special holy days, or what we can understand also as the Sabbath. The Jews felt it was vital to continue to observe the Sabbath, specifically the ritual observance on the Sabbath. Some of them say it's got to be on this certain day, and it is crucial for us to observe that. Now, the Gentiles, they weren't dissing community. They weren't dissing gathering as a family of God, but they did not have the ritual observance of the Sabbath in their purview here, in their understanding or their conviction that they, it was this certain day and they couldn't worship any of the other days as important as this day's. And, and the question is, what does Paul believe? Well, Paul has a position on food. All food is clean. And he has a position on special days. They're no longer binding, including the Sabbath, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. But he wants people to be free to hold their own convictions concerning the Sabbath and the special days. Now, I know it's very confusing, because you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with you? It's, like, it's this. I'm not going to stand here before you and make a certain application about who in here is weak in faith and who is strong in faith, because it does not, it doesn't, it doesn't move, it doesn't move from this context to us just like this. So I don't want to say, those of you in here 
are weak in faith, and there's some of you who are strong in faith, because I don't think it's a direct connection. It's like I cannot say to some of you, those are strong in faith who can drink alcohol. And if you can't drink alcohol, then you are weak in faith. doesn't work. I can't say to you, those of you who are strong in faith like hymns. Those of you who are weak in faith like all that other stuff. You see, it doesn't work. Who's strong? Who's weak? We can't make the the direct connection. So if you're expecting me this morning to call people out for being weak or to call you out for being strong, the direct connection does not, doesn't move. I mean, I guess you could say the only person I think this could apply to directly is is those of you in here who are are rigid Sabbatarians, that we should have the Sabbath on Saturday. And you're probably not here (laughs) right now, (laughs) if that's you. But that could be the direct connection because that's still some adherence to the Old Testament law and the conviction that it must be on Saturday. And so that could be the the only direct connection. But but you're going to see where we're going to go with this because rather than make calling people out for being weak and and strong, we're going to talk more about your motive. This is going to be fun. And we're also going to talk about unity, all right? So let's go and deal with your motive on why you participate and what you participate in, all right? Verse 6, motives. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. This is what Paul's doing. He's like, look, man, you want to eat? Fine. Eat to the glory of God. You want to not eat? Fine. Don't eat for the glory of God. You want to observe the day? Observe it to the glory of God. If not... Don't observe it to the glory of God. You want to drink, drink to the glory of God. If not, then don't drink to the glory of God. What he's getting at is that Jesus is Lord. And whether we eat or whether we abstain, we want the focus to be on giving glory to God. And that's a great principle. If you can't do it to God's glory and you're troubled in your conscience, well, then don't do it. So whether you partake in the the non-essentials and whether your different convictions, whatever they are, hey, be rooted in giving glory to God in everything you do. This is not a, a matter of talking about the closed-hand doctrinal issues where we must not have different opinions, right? We must be rooted in the truth of God's Word. These are the non-essentials. We can have different convictions, and one Christian can do one thing for the glory of God, and another Christian can do something totally opposite, and they both can still be doing it for the glory of God. Can you believe that, right? Because we're not talking about the closed-hand issues, but the open-hand issues. Christians can be doing exact opposite things on the non-essentials, and they both can be glorifying God. Are, are you with me now? These are the non-essential things. Are you seeing what he's getting at? So the motive here is how can we glorify God in everything that we do? Let me tell you what this looks like. This past, uh, past Friday night, I was at Moody Bible Institute. Perhaps there's some grads here. I was at Moody Bible Institute with my son. Uh, we were finishing up the tail end. We went to see the tail end of the Legacy Conference. 
uh, Francis Chan was speaking, uh, the main session, and after him, there was a rap concert. Uh, so at this rap concert, it was loud, uh, deep bass. Um, there was a mosh pit up front, and people were dancing all around. This is at Moody Bible Institute. Are you tracking with me at all? All right. So Moody Bible Institute, this historic place who's had unbelievable famous men and women, great preachers have preached at that chapel we were at. And it's, it's so ironic. So I'm at the chapel. The rapper's up front. It's bass and people are dancing. Moody Bible Institute, I'm going to remind you again. And so uh, what, what I'm seeing there is that above the rappers, I don't know if anybody's paying attention, but above the rappers is the choir loft. And above the choir loft are the organ pipes. And right below the organ pipes, there is a digital projection that says, Rapzilla. (laughs) I'm not joking. I'm not joking. And and you may wonder, what? Is is Moody Bible Institute, do they like apostatize? Did they like drop all their doctrinal convictions? Did they just go off the rails? What is wrong with Moody Bible Institute? I mean, I'm going to take all my money and stop giving to them. What has happened to them? Why would they allow a rap concert? It's an open-handed issue. Those men and women in there were glorifying God through their doctrine and their turntables. Yeah? They're glorifying God. Open-handed issue. And if you are scoffing at that, Paul would say to you, don't you dare pass judgment. Don't you dare. In fact, that's what he says. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He's saying, don't you dare pass judgment. You don't know the motives. You don't know the heart. These are non-essential issues here. They are giving glory to God. Don't pass judgment on others on these non-essential matters. My brothers and sisters, this is, this is uh, the, the church has a history of this. Passing judgment on non-essential matters. Back in the day, perhaps your parents' generation, more likely your grandparents' generation or your great grandparents' generation, there was something around called fundamentalism where certain Christians looked down on others who drank or danced or played cards or listened to secular music or had drums in church. You know, it's, it's, it was called fundamentalism. They said, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. You don't drink, you don't dance, you don't play cards, you don't listen to secular music, and you don't have drums in church. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. But I think today, 
there may be something else going on in church. Something that we could call a reverse fundamentalism. I was reading a book. Let me put it up for you. It's by uh, Jefferson Bethke. He wrote a book called Jesus is Greater Than Religion. And he talks about this reverse fundamentalism. Let's see if this uh, sounds familiar in the churches that you're from, uh, people that you run with. So it goes something like this. Especially if you're under 35, listen up. Here we go. The older generation says it's good not to drink beer. The younger generation says we are definitely drinking beer. Freedom in Christ, right? The older generation says, you know what? You must dress up for church. The younger generation says, oh, we're going to dress up all right. We're going to wear skinny jeans and V-neck shirts. So the older fundamentalism, we know what it was. But this reverse fundamentalism, a new fundamentalism of today, it says, look, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. You drink beer. You wear skinny jeans. You have a MacBook Pro in this hand and a vanilla latte in this one. (laughs) See, we're tracking. And what he is saying to the younger generation, he's saying, look, if you're not careful, you're going to be just like the older generation who are fundamentalism, who said, this is what it looks like to be Christian, and now you're younger, and you're saying, no, no, this is what it looks like to be Christian. And what Paul's saying is, listen, those are secondary issues. Don't say that's what it looks like. Are you kidding me? We are believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says we are sinners Jesus invaded, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, buried, rose again. We put our faith in him. And we did not put our faith in him to say, now, this is what it looks like. What it looks like is you must hold to these politics. You must school your child in this certain way. You must dress like this. You must listen to this. You must have worship style like that. Are you kidding me? Jesus saved us so that we could elevate non-essential matters? No. And brothers and sisters, let us not pass judgment on one another, but check our hearts and give glory to God in all that we do. And this brings us to the the last focus Paul is going to bring us in this concept of unity. How can we be unified on non-essential matters? Romans 14, verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. (laughs) He's addressing the Gentiles there. He says, look, man, um, you need to stop judging your brothers and sisters, your Jewish brothers and sisters, and the Lord. Don't don't be looking down on them on these non-essential open-hand matters. And he continues in verse 14. And he says, oh, you know, I know, he's like, he's talking to Gentiles. He goes, I know Gentiles, I know, and I am persuaded of Lord Jesus. I, I know nothing is unclean in itself. I get that. The food is clean. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So he agrees with the Gentiles. He goes, yes, I know it's unclean. Jesus declared it clean. Peter, the sheep came down. I get it. It's all clean. But some of the Jews have a stuck faith. And so for the Jews, it's, it's unclean. 
So it's not a matter of, of who's right or wrong. You can say, well, no, the Jews are clearly in the wrong. It's not the issue here on these non-essential matters. The issue is don't trip them up. It comes down to love here. It continues in verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. He's like, listen, Gentiles, Jesus died for them, so stop messing with them. Stop messing with your Jewish brothers and sisters. Say, come on, the food's clean. Come on, you can eat. Stop messing with them, for Christ died. You're going to trip them up, and you're going to ruin their faith. Quit it. And he continues. Look at verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Underline it in your Bible. Here we go. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable with God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. It's not about eating and drinking, right? It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about elevating the non-essential matter. It's not about saying, look, if you are truly a believer in Jesus, you will adhere to this political party. If you are truly a believer in Jesus, then you will worship in this certain way. If you are a believer in Jesus, then you will school your children in this particular way. And Paul's like, stop it. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about pursuing those things that make for joy and peace and righteousness and serving others. The gospel, we do not get saved to elevate these non-essential matters, which are important. We're saved to love one another, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to tolerate one another in love with graciousness. And he continues with the same idea, verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Once again, he keeps coming back to this food and drink that are ritually clean, but that's not the point. It's not a matter of right and wrong, but your freedom. And the way that you love is not making another brother or sister stumble. And so it's good not to eat meat or to drink wine in their presence. Does this mean that you can never eat meat or drink wine ever in this context here for the Jews and the Gentiles? Look at verse 22, what he says. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. I think Paul's saying, look, Gentiles, you can enjoy all the meat you want. You can enjoy all the drink you want in the privacy of your home or in the homes of other like-minded believers. But when you show up for the church potluck, do not bring wine and do not bring a big hunk of meat. Keep that to yourself and God in private. Issue is unity. Issue is love. But what about the Jews? He just addressed the Gentiles. Don't trip them up. Do it in private. 
What about the Jews? Look what he says to them in verse 23. But whoever has doubts, that's a stuck faith, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if the Jews who had these convictions ate meat or drank wine, then it'd be sin for them because they'd be violating their conscience. They couldn't eat it or drink it from a position of faith, and therefore for them it was sin. Their faith was stuck. And, and this goes back to the motive of glorifying God and everything we're due. If you, if you know, okay, look, you can theologically know that drinking is not a sin, right? You can theologically know that. But if you have some connection with drinking from the past where you have viewed it as sin, where you have seen maybe some devastations connected with it. There's just something in you that cannot partake it without it violating your conscience. Now, brothers and sisters, don't mess with your conscience. Don't drink. Don't do it. Even though you can say it's fine, it's theologically okay, but there's something in you that's not right with it, conscious, don't drink. The same thing can go for those of you who uh, have had convictions about working on Sunday. Like you have, in the past, there's been some connection with you. And even though in your mind you say, okay, there's not this ritual observance, but there's something about taking a day of rest. Yes, that's good. And so, but there's something in you that's just violated by working on Don't work on Sunday. Same thing with you who are certain forms of entertainment. There's just something about radar movies you just, you just can't go to. It. Others can go to it, but there's something in you that you just don't go. It's, it's like me when I was in college. There came a time in my life, junior year, in my living room, I gathered all my secular music on the floor. Now, I didn't burn it because it was in my house, but I had it all on the floor, all those tapes, <laughs> and I took them all into a, a tape. It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> I put them all into this bag, and, and I, I threw them away. Because in my mind, secular music was not connected with anything good. And you may think, well, that, that's crazy. Listen to me. I didn't, I didn't used to listen to Kenny Loggins, okay? I wasn't, li- you know who he, I wasn't listening to Kenny Loggins. I listened to like Two Live Crew, Jane's Addiction. A variety of other bands that you might have never heard of, and it's great, don't go look them up. You don't want to know. So in my mind, secular music is, is something really bad, so I gathered all my tapes, and I threw them away. I want to have nothing to do with them. I just want to listen to Christian music all the time. That's fine. That's why I want because I have this... Con- now, I, I'm, I'm 42, and I have since adjusted a little bit, a little bit, uh, so I can listen to some secular music. But just, just understand, if you're having conscience issues, just leave it alone. If you can't do it in faith, if you can't listen to secular music in faith, or watch a movie in faith, or drink in faith, then just, just don't do it. Because if it's not from faith, then it's sin. It doesn't give glory to God. Just don't do it. Here's the heart of the matter. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. One last, one last story for you. It's one of those old school stories. And you think this is something that would happen, I don't know, 2014, but it happened many, many years ago. 
And it, of course, it has to do with preachers. There were two preachers in England back in the day, this guy named Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. Now, at one time, Spurgeon and Parker used to exchange pulpits. You preach at my church, I'll preach at your church. But after a while, there was a, a rift over non-essential matters, the open hand. They just, they split over non-essential matters. And, and I would say it was mainly Spurgeon's fault. This is, this is kind of how it went, all right? Spurgeon started to look down on Parker because Parker started going to the, the theater. <laughs> he would go to the theater. And Spurgeon thought it was bad to go to the theater, so he said, you're not going to come and preach in my pulpit if you're going to be going to the theater. So they, they, they split. And, and back in the day, this, this rift even made it in the newspapers. Can you imagine reading about this? Two preachers at war over the theater. And so they wouldn't share pulpits anymore. They had a negative attitude about that. Now, get this. At the same time, Charles Spurgeon used to smoke cigars. And many of the Christians at this time looked down on smoking cigars. So basically what Charles Spurgeon did, he said, look, I'm going to break fellowship with you over non-essential matters of my choosing. I'm going to smoke cigars, and you can, can't go to the theater. Are you, are you, do you do that? Break fellowship with others over non-essential matters of your choosing. And so, a reporter called Spurgeon out on this. They said, Spurgeon, man, you, you're, not, you're, you're dogging him for going to theater and, and you're smoking cigars. What do you, what do you, what do you say about that? And Spurgeon says, I do not smoke cigars in excess. And the reporter's like, what do you mean by excess? And he said, never more than two at a time. <laughs> now, you see that? That's a snarky attitude, right? You see, that's sarcasm. And, but you know, You've done some of that, right? In your freedom, you've been sarcastic. Like, well, I have freedom. I can do this. And you make some sarcastic remark like that. Okay, now I'm going to give you a little redemption for, for Spurgeon, okay? Because I'm dogging on him a lot. So here's a little redemption for Spurgeon. So one day he is, is walking down the road, and he's at the height of his popularity. The preachers were a big deal back then. And he saw a sign at a store that said this. It said, we sell the cigars that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And from that day on, he quit. Did he have freedom to keep going? Sure. But he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I am starting to hinder others and possibly trip some others up. So he let it go. He's caring for other people. He's caring for their walk for Jesus. So for him and the non-essentials, he let it go. My brothers and sisters, let's keep it in mind. Closed hand right here. We're not letting these doctrines go. But in the non-essentials, you've got to keep in mind, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you have let us know that you have saved us to boast in you, to boast in Jesus, and to live lives of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in Jesus. 
And Lord, where we have gotten off, where we are elevating uh, secondary issues or non-essentials or open-handed issues and we're judging others and looking down on others, may you convict us. Whether this is done by an older generation or a younger generation, we can all be guilty of assuming that we are always right and that others are always wrong on the non-essential matters. So give us a heart that loves, that does not judge, that encourages, that even dialogues over these non-essential things, but ultimately finds unity. Unity in the gospel of Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.